our text this morning will come from the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. I'm going to start reading at verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we went out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we traveled there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. How many of you are living and working right now in what you thought was plan A for your life? I get laughter. Plan B? Plan C? It's good to remember that God is at work. And folks, quite honestly, God's plan B is going to be better than your or mine plan A could ever be. Let me read for you a couple of verses before where I started, picking up on Paul's journey. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. It's no small comfort that even the Apostle Paul made plans that God changed. We're told here that Paul was planning to go to Asia on his next preaching mission, and twice the Spirit said no. Now I've got to think that if anybody had prayed it through and thought that he would have had a clear direction from God as to what he was to do with his life, it would have been Paul. So I'm taking some small comfort in knowing that God had other plans. Indeed, God had bigger plans. The Spirit would not let Paul 
and Luke and Barnabas and Silas and the whole missionary entourage would not let them go to Asia because God's plan was for them to move to Europe. It's interesting that that after two denials, Paul didn't give up. Instead, he was obedient. Folks, when you feel like plan A has been shut down or plan B has been shut down, look for what God is doing and see what God's plan is. I fall to the temptation sometimes of making my plans and then offering them up to God, asking God to baptize my plans. Here, God, I got it all worked out. You just put your stamp of approval on it and we'll move on. When by experience, hard experience, I know that the better option is to say, God, here I am. I'm open. Give me your plans. And I'll follow. But today's story isn't about Paul. Now, normally, when I preach this passage, and most of the other pastors that you've heard preach this passage, we we talk about Paul and God's plan for using Paul. But what we find here is really a story not about Paul, but about Lydia. A woman. We don't hear many of the stories of God's work with women in the Bible, do we? One, quite honestly, there aren't a lot of those stories I've got a hunch at the fact that all the biblical writers that we know of for sure were men may have something to do with that. We miss out a lot when we miss women's voices and women's stories. And Paul has a great deal to say to us today. God has a great deal to say to us today about Lydia. She was from Thyatira. A, a, a town of some influence, not a particularly big city, but it was known for its track, for its um, crafts and its tradesmen. Um, there were guilds, groups of co- collectives of people that that produced things there, and we're told that she was a dealer in purple cloth. It's interesting that to. Purple cloth was usually, if somebody wore purple, it meant they were rich. They had some money, or they were royalty. Purple was a very expensive, to get the color purple, it was a very expensive process. Evidently, there was a small mollusk that had, had purple in it, and it took a lot of them and a lot of time and a lot of work to produce a color-fast dye of deep royal purple. So she was a dealer in it. She was a leader. In our terminology, I think we would call her a manager. Not on the production line, but in a leadership role. But in addition to her work, at which evidently she was quite successful, she was a worshiper of God. Now we don't know, and... um, After reading this week, I think I could take a quarter and flip it and come to about as much consensus as to whether or not Lydia was a 
Jew or a Gentile, all over the place there, doesn't really matter. But she was seeking God. There was something in her life and in her spirit that was leading her towards God. What is amazing, folks, is that while she was searching for God, God found her. We are reminded that salvation comes to us at God's initiative. It is God's doing. It is God's grace. It is God's love reaching out to us. As we seek God, it is God who finds us. And sometimes, sometimes we work too hard at it. Sometimes we work as if our working is going to accomplish something. As if our working is somehow going to earn God's favor or bring us God's pleasure. Sometimes the best thing we can do is just to be still. Let God come to us. Paul and the entourage come to a riverbank. By the Sabbath, we get the idea there must not have been enough Jewish males in Philippi for there to have been a synagogue, which Paul usually goes to the synagogue to, to teach when he travels from town to town. But instead, he must have heard somewhere through his time that there were a group of women who met by the riverside to pray. So he goes and finds the women, and they sit down and begin to talk with them about God. We don't know the message that Paul shared, but I think it's, it's a reasonable assumption that Paul would have shared the same message that he did at every other stop. The message of God's great love expressed in and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And as Lydia heard that message and understood it and received it in her heart, she found what she had been looking for. She found a fresh and new relationship with God through Jesus. Now she immediately, she immediately says to the missionary entourage, if you think my faith is real, then you need to come to my house. And she wouldn't take no for an answer. She was determined to be generous with her hospitality and her resources. This is another reason that we can assume that she was probably a fairly wealthy woman was that she had enough room to invite Paul and the entourage to come and to stay with her. So she's a, a, a seller, a trader of purple. She's accumulated some wealth. And in her new relationship with Christ, she wants to share the resources that God has blessed her with in offering hospitality to the missionaries. Lydia was a woman of wealth and influence. And in her faith, 
she would lead the members of her household to faith in Christ as well. Now, this is what we learn from Lydia. I started out moving in a different direction. Let me tell you where I was going to go. I was going to ask the question, how is God at work in your life? And looking at the life of Lydia, I was going to ask you, where are you willing to go? Who are you influencing for Jesus? What are you ready to do? Why has God placed you where you are and why has he given you what you have? It was all about what are you doing? And I realized it's really not about what we're doing. It's about what God is doing. So let me ask us a different set of questions. Instead of where are you willing to go, where is God leading you? Where is God leading you? As Priscilla and I were uh, making plans for our wedding and, and moving to seminary, I was beginning to develop my idea of where I felt God might be calling us to ministry. And I, I was open to going anywhere except a big city. I just had this awful fear in my heart that God would send us to Detroit or, or Chicago or some big city. Fortunately, Kennesaw is as close as we got to Atlanta. I probably would have been more ready to say, yes, Lord, and go to Africa than to go to an urban area in the U.S. And, and so I was singing the old gospel hymn, wherever he leads, I'll go. But I stamped an asterisk there. Because I wanted God that, to understand that I would be willing to go anywhere except. I felt like a couple of exceptions would be reasonable. So the question isn't where are we willing to go? But where is God leading us? How do we know where God is leading us? We ask, we pray, we listen, and we know when we know. When Jerry and, and Faith Jansen were here before they moved to Birmingham, about 15 years ago, Jerry heard that we had a need for a four- and five-year-old Sunday school teacher. Jerry had never taught preschoolers in his life. But he heard that there was a need, and he said, hey, I can do that. Now, he thought it was just to finish out the year. And 15 years later, when they moved, was when he finally stopped teaching four- and five-year-olds. Where is God leading? Who has God placed in your life that you might influence for Jesus? 
I grew up in a generation where we talked about being a strong witness, um, being an effective evangelist, that it was somehow my job as a believer to not just show someone the way to Jesus, but to, well, to help force them down that road, to not stop until they responded the way that I wanted them to respond. That may still be effective for some people, but it's increasingly less effective. What I'm finding is that God brings people into our lives and gives us the opportunity to be influencers, to influence them by the way that we live, by, by the way that we handle successes, by the way that we treat people, and maybe just as importantly as how we handle our successes is how we handle our failures. Can we show them what it means to own up when we hurt others and take accept accountability and take responsibility and ask forgiveness? Can we be influencers for Christ? Can we be the kind of people that when we walk into the room, we raise the environment of the room instead of bringing it down? Gosh, you and I know far too many people that carry the name of Christ, but when they enter a room, you can just feel all the air being sucked out of the room. Who's God placed in our lives that we might be influencers? It may be our children or our grandchildren. It may be our neighbors. That simply by living faithfully, we show them what a believer can look like, what a believer can live like, and folks, I guarantee you that if we live faithfully, we don't have to worry about cornering those folks to push them towards Jesus. They will come to us and ask, why aren't you upset about that? Why, why, I don't get it. You should be falling to pieces right now. How are you holding it together? And we'll have opportunity to tell them about Jesus. What is God preparing you to do? Folks, there are no, I, I, do, I do not believe in coincidences. I do believe that God uses the circumstances of our lives to prepare us for the next step He wants us to take. What is God preparing you to do? Now, sometimes I'm a slow learner and it takes Him two or three different avenues to get my attention before I finally realize, oh, <laughs> maybe God's trying to say something to me here. Look around your life, the people that God has brought you to. Look around at the new interests that you have, the new opportunities that are coming your way. See where God might be at work and where God, in the words of Henry Blackaby, might be inviting you to join in His work. What's God preparing you to do? And where has God placed you? Where has God placed you? And what has God given you? Sometimes when we do hear what God has for us? <laughs> like Moses, our first response is an excuse. 
We, we tell God why we can't do this. Well, I don't have the time. God knows how much time you have. Well, I don't have the money. God knows your bank account balance better than you do. I don't have the skills. God made you the way you are. God knows what you have. By the way, sometimes we don't know what we have until we try to use it. Well, I don't think they'll like it if I do that. It's not about you. It's about what God might be leading you to do. God has placed you right where you are. Now, sometimes we may scratch our heads and wonder why. But God has a reason for where you are. God has a reason for the people that He brings into your lives, the pleasant ones who add value to you and the ornery ones that drive you crazy. I, I'm a little ambivalent. I'm not quite sure how to respond to people when from time to time someone will come to me and just say, Pastor, I am absolutely miserable at work. There, there's this person I can't stand. Will you just pray for me that, pray that I can get another job and get out of there? And I'm ambivalent because I wonder if maybe that's right where God wants you. Where has God placed you? And what has God given you? You know, it, there, it, it, it is no secret around here uh, that in our church, you know, money's tight. The, the comforting fact is that it's tight for every church in the United States right now. We're all trying to figure out what to do about COVID. Ours is complicated uh, by the response to the decisions that we made a couple of years about, about welcoming everyone who calls Jesus as Lord. But you know what, folks? God has all the resources that we need to do what God has called us to do. You've heard me talk before about Tony Campolo, preacher and apologist and pot stirrer. Campolo was invited once to come and um, do the prayer at a fundraising banquet for a major institution. They had a speaker, uh, but Campolo brought the star power, and so he was going to have the last word. And as everyone bowed their heads to pray, the organizers almost choked on their dessert when Campolo said, God, I'm not going to ask you to give us any money because you've already given us everything that we need. What I'm going to ask you to do is to help us let go of some of it. So folks, the, the, the question for us is where has God placed us? What has God given us? And, and the last question that I, I ask of us as I look at this marvelous short story of Lydia, 
is simply this. When will God hear us say yes? There's an old spiritual that simply says, yes, 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 the word on my heart, Lord, is yes. So listen to the questions that God might be asking you. And let's pray together that our answer might be yes. Let's pray now. God, how we love you and thank you for your great love for us. God, we thank you for the example of Lydia, one who searched for you and who was found by you. One who would use the influence and the resources and the money that you gave her to share generously, to offer hospitality, to help start a community of believers in a new place. God, I pray that, that you will find open minds and open eyes and open hearts. That we might see where you are at work. That we might hear where you are calling. And that we might respond, yes. That we might know the blessings that come from that obedience. And that we might influence others to come to know the marvelous grace that you offer in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Folks, as we get ready to sing our closing song, I, I, I hope you'll stop and think for a moment about which of these questions might be most pressing for you. And that if you're not ready to say yes yet, that you'll ask God to help you get to that point. God is doing good work. And we have the opportunity to be involved. May we hear and may we obey. Let's stand together as we sing.